Hello, and welcome to Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson. My mission is to find everyday people who are delightful. The people I interview have attractive energy and a positive outlook on life. And I want to give them a platform to share their stories so that others can have hope in the midst of their struggles and see delight in a world that at times can seem gloomy. I will uncover the life experiences of the guests that I interview, which have enabled them to look at life in such an inspiring and delightful way, with the belief that to understand the light, one has to be acquainted with the dark. My guests will share their personal experiences on finding their way through dark and hopeless times and give us a glimpse into the powerful gifts they received in their darkest hours to rise up, take up hope, and view life through new, hope-filled eyes. Is it possible that in our darkest hours, we are given a gift to find the light which leads to our greatest delights? Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Come Towards Delight, the podcast. I'm your host, Mike Gregson, and excited to be with you for another episode. Got a fun one coming up. I uh, This is a fun one for me. It's a little bit different than than some of the other ones I've done. Um, Juan, and it's, tell me, Juan, I, I didn't ask you this prior to the start of this, but do you pronounce your last name Zazueta? Yeah, that's pretty good. It's yeah. Zazueta. Yeah. Okay. So yep. Juan Sasueta, and he is from Arizona. Uh, he lives in Arizona currently. And, and what was so cool is Juan and I met a few years ago um, at a big conference that Marriott does with Connect. It's a Connect event. Um, it was down in Las Vegas, I believe in 2017 is when we crossed, path, cross, crossed paths. And um, this was, it was again, down in Las Vegas. And I'm checking in into this thing and it's, it's big, right? This is Marriott diversity. They do it every year and they bring all these different people with Marriott and all these different planners of these massive events uh, for LGBTQ, for, um, you know, black, uh, African-American or Jewish, like all the different diverse groups that are out there that have these huge events that they host all over the, the USA and the globe, really. Um, they'll bring them together so they can connect. They can, they can, you know, if you're a planner, you're looking to go to this city. Well, here's the Marriott rep that you would meet from this city. And so I was representing the Western Mountain Pacific region, which was fun. Um, I was a little nervous, didn't know what to expect. I go to check in and register. And you were behind, there was, a, there was about three of you behind the registration desk. And, and as I'm, I think I was sitting there talking to a girl registering and I heard you, you were in the back. I could see you. You were a few feet behind the girl I was talking to. And uh, you said something about the saints or a mission. I can't remember what it was. I, my memory, you know, I'm, I'm getting old, Juan. But um, it, was a, it was a long time ago. So yeah, but, but I remember hearing something that I was like, okay, he's LDS. So I, I said before I left, I'm like, hey, do you serve a mission? And you said, yeah. And, and come to find out, you went to New York. And uh, I served in Indiana, and I don't know that we made that connection, but we started talking. And, and obviously, with the commonality of, of the church that we had, uh, that was kind of fun. But, but then we connected throughout the event, you know, a couple of different occasions. Even my wife, she was there with me in Las Vegas. And I don't know if you remember this, but on the last day as we were leaving, we saw you, and I, we just connected real quick. And I told yeah. my wife when we were walking away, I'm like, you know, I don't know what it is about that guy but he's a really good guy. He's, he's got, he's got really good light and energy about him. And, and I, and I, and I say that because I watched you at the conference, the way that you talk to people, uh, you, you, you weren't 
working with people as numbers. Um, you weren't there to try and see like what gain connect had with this different client, but you were actually there to connect with people. Um, actually what the company represents, right? The whole purpose of connect. Right. Exactly. Not, not everyone's there for that, right? Like a lot of people walk around and they're concerned about their jobs and what's the ROI, right? We look at people as like, Hey, how much money can I get gained from you? Um, never, right. never felt that from you. And as I, as I watched you kind of interact with, with people there, I could tell that you weren't about that. You were about connecting with the person, the individual, and making sure that they were happy and that you found a way to serve them. And, and, and that to me is everything. It's everything. And, and so when I was starting this podcast um, earlier last year, as I sat there thinking, okay, well, I'm going to do this thing and I don't know who I'm going to talk to, but I started making, I, yeah, I started making a list. And, and you were one of the first people that came to mind. And honestly, Juan, you and I have never sat down and really had a one-on-one -on -one conversation. I know a little bit about right. you because I've spied on you on Instagram. And I know you can, <laughs> I, listen, man, I, I know you could dunk and I never could. So I'm, I'm envious of you. <laughs> so but, I just put um, it out there. I just yeah. got to put it out there. No, I mean, you don't just put it out there. You put it, you get up there and throw it down there, right? <laughs> um, right. But, but that's, you know, obviously hoops is a love of mine. And so there's a connection there, but I, I'm so grateful that, you know, when I reached out to you, um, although you didn't really know what it was at first, you, I, I kind of shared with you what the concept was. And he said, this is awesome. You know, I'd love to, I'd love to do it. And, and as I've, as I've talked to you a little bit, and as you sent me back that questionnaire, I sent my guests, you've been through a lot of tough stuff and, and you're coming up on 28 years old. So you still got a long road ahead of you. Um, but you've been through a lot, you know, you've been through a lot and you, you've, you've got some, some really good, um, things that you can share with the audience of, of things that will connect to a lot of people as well. So anyway, that said, um, people get tired of hearing my voice, my friend, that's, I'm here to share, I'm here to share. <laughs> Sounds great, man. Um, <laughs> come on, tell us about yourself and then, and then let's dive into your story. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess I can. I can just run you through my life real quick, quick resume. But um, I was born in Mexico. Um, my older sister and I were born in Mexico in Hermosillo, which is uh, in the state of Sonora. So the northernmost state in Mexico borders Arizona. Um, but my my parents um, had the opportunity to, to come teach elementary school here in Phoenix. Um, and the school district was recruiting t bilingual teachers and, and both of my parents, uh, they said that they were bilingual <laughs> and then the, uh, the district was helping with paperwork. So they were helping people with work visas and, uh, and that's how, that's how my family came to be able to live in America. Kidding. And we were super lucky because there's, there's a long line. That's not an easy process for a lot of people. Um, so I came here as an immigrant, um, but, but I only really know Mesa, Arizona as my life. I don't remember anything in Mexico. Um, I was raised as a church, uh, in the church of, of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, and so that's been my whole life as well. Um, I have three siblings. Um, what else? Um, I, I'm obsessed with sports. I've always been that way. I played literally growing up. I, I thought I was going to go to the MLB and then, uh, freshman year of, of, high school, I guess, or in junior high, I discovered basketball and I fell in love with it more than anything. And so I, I ended up quitting baseball. Long story short, I quit baseball to play volleyball because 
my friend told me if I could, if I played volleyball, I'd be able to dunk. Yeah, and that, that that consumed me because I was like the one kid on the freshman team. Which now now freshman teams have a whole the whole roster can dunk. But yeah. when I was in junior high, I was like I was the one kid that could barely touch the rim, and I was like the highest jumper. You know, that's before they started putting steroids and like the fruity pebbles. Yeah, what, whatever's in the milk these days is was not in ours back then. So yeah. so. Um, basically in high school, I played sports. I played football, um, basketball and volleyball, all four years of high school. Nice. And then I played one year of basketball at Mesa community college here. Um, if you can call it playing, I just rode the bench. So that was really humbling, different than anything I'd ever experienced. Um, the team, man. Awesome. Yeah, that was a, that was a crazy experience. It was, it was actually, I was super lucky. Um, I was a walk on and that story is kind of crazy on its own, but, um, so I, I, after a year of that, I served my mission, went to New York City, um, best city in the world, in my opinion. It's amazing. Um, and then I came home and, and um, my current wife now, her name is not my current wife, my only wife ever, and, and she'll, only, she'll be my only wife, but uh, my wife, me and her were, were like best friends before I left. Oh, no kidding. Um, and so we kept in touch um, and she kind of, she dated around a little bit while I was gone. But then when I got home, it was like the connection was already there and, and we got married pretty quick and we've been married now for six years almost. Um, yeah. Six years in March. Nice. Um, and now we have a beautiful baby boy. He he's about to be two next week. Um, but if you saw him, you would probably think he was like five because <laughs> he's huge. Um, but that's where I'm at, man. I'm in law school. Um, I, I went to Arizona State University undergrad, and I'm now at Arizona State Sandra Day O'Connor College of Law. So uh, we're we're trying to navigate that right now. Yeah, gotta throw the forks up, right, for ASU. Forks up, baby. That's right. That's right. I love, so when I when I lived down there, I made I made sure to connect with a cousin and go to a couple of football games down there. That was a lot of fun. So Arizona's a good place. Yeah. Now, now remind. So tell the audience, your wife's name is Haley. Haley, yep. And you guys, did you meet while you were going to college? Is that where you met? So Haley used to be my older sister's best friend. Okay. Um, so so Haley's a year older than me. All right. Uh, yeah, that's right. So so Haley was Haley had been around me for years. You know, I I probably met her when I was fifteen. Um, but I, my sister's friends and my friends were very, very different. Um, like really, really different. So I would give my sister a hard time about her friends, but I would make sure to never say anything bad about Haley. You know, I would always give my sister a hard time. I'd be like, Hey, tell Haley, I think she's cute or, or tell Haley this or tell Haley that even though I didn't really know her, I just knew who she was. Um, and then her and I went to, went to a dance together in high school. Um, because my girlfriend at the time was not allowed to go with me. And so, so that opened the door and Haley asked me and we had a blast and, and that was kind of it in high school. We, we sat next to each other in choir and we were friends, but then, uh, it wasn't until I was at MCC that Haley was also there and I saw her from like across campus and I texted her and I was like, Hey, were you just at school? Um, did I just see you here or whatever? And, and she texted back, like, I think it was hours later. She was like, yeah, I think that was me. Sorry. Or something. And then, um, so we saw each other at one of my, one of my friends was opening his mission call and, um, she saw me there and she invited me to a wedding to one of her friend's weddings. And so I went as her date. And then after that, I hung out with her every day, literally every day until 
like six or seven months later where I left on my mission and that's where we left off and we just kept in touch throughout my mission. And, and when we came back, it was just easy, you know? Yeah. So at that point you guys started hanging out every day, did your sister go, dude, what's going on here? Like she liked it. Yeah. Did she? She, yeah, because, well, I think at that point, um, like my sister's group of friends at that point, they all just hung out together. It was maybe five, six, I don't know, however many of them. Um, and, and then they were all going off to college. So they had started dating. And so they weren't as close at that point. And Haley was just like, she was living with some roommates and had some free time. And so my sister wasn't always around, but my sister was like, Oh, this is awesome. Like I get to hang out with my brother and me and my sister are only 11 months apart. So okay. for like three weeks out of the year, we're the same age. Um, she's older than me. And so we've always been close. Like she's, I, she's been my outlet growing up and I've been her outlet sometimes growing up. Like when we would fight with our parents or we would, you know, strategize together, whatever, whatever. The case is. That's right. Uh, you know how siblings are. Yeah. So, yeah. um, me and my sister have always been really, really close. Um, and I, and part of that just has to do with the age and, and it was cool. Like I, I never really hung out with my sister until I started hanging out with Haley. Yeah. And so then I got to see what my sister was like with her friends and, and she got to see what I was like. And so, it was fun. It, it didn't really cause any issues. And now, now my wife's sister-in-law is somebody that she's been friends with for, you know, for years. So it just, it was, it's all really easy. Part of the family. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, man. Okay. So, so, okay. So you didn't make the NBA though, man. Stop. No, that's still, that's still I, uh, night while you're laying awake at night in the dark going, dude, I didn't make the NBA. Cause it still, it still hurts me. I'm the, I'm still hurting. No, it, Trust me, man, it hurt. And, and after I got married, I decided to, to step away from basketball. Cause when I, when I got home from my mission, I went back to MCC and, and they gave me a locker that like right away. I said, Hey, I'm back. And they were like, okay, here's your locker practice. Come to practice tomorrow at this time. And I was like, perfect. And then I worked out with them for like two months. And right when school started, I had to choose between school or a job. And, and I anticipated that I was going to get married. And so I was like, I'm just going to get a job. Yeah. And, and then basketball kept me up for maybe two years after that. Literally every single night I could not, I could not handle that. I wasn't playing, um, but I, I'm over it now. I'm old now, man. I'm only, I'm only 27, but my knees are both like 39 or 40. When, when so. you can jump as high as you could in your younger years, I've seen the Instagram videos, my friend, when you can jump that high, <laughs> your knees are going to get hurt. See, my knees are fine. I couldn't jump very high. <laughs> my knees are, my knees are never going to have to get replaced, buddy. Um, right. You know, so, um, in the background, um, obviously doing this over zoom, but you've got, you've got all the greats, right? You've got Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Allen Iverson. I mean, you name it a uh, little Devin yeah. Burke Booker in there as well. Cause you're native Arizonian and, and you gotta, you know, those dreams when you're a kid, man, that that's what makes life fun, right? It's hard to give those up, Absolutely. but you're grateful for them while you go and, and the friendships and the, the experiences that you create while you do those things in sports and you know, whatever it is, you know, sports or, or, you know, debate class or whatever, those things are a lot of fun. And it's hard to, it's hard to sometimes let those go, but you do because you find people like Haley, right? For everybody else, they've got their Haley and you, and you move forward with life and, and there you go. So, but now tell me, so you, you start, you, you kind of at that point, you get married and, and you go start working a job full time. So you left MCC after like a year. Is that right? Yeah. So I did my freshman year and then I, I went on a mission. And then when I came back, I took the, I came back in the summer and then I took the fall off because the job that I started, it was this call center 
they had, um, you know, 40 hour a week training for like six weeks or something. So I, I couldn't go to school. So I dropped out that semester and I just got my job. And then I didn't start school back again until January, yeah. the following January. Yeah. It's hard. It's, it's hard when you get married at a young age and, and you've got so much on your plate, but it's beautiful, isn't it? Like, I mean, those, you look back at that time when you guys get first married, when you're first newlyweds and although the money's tight and you're trying to figure out life, it's man, it's a, it's a lot of fun that, that you're so grateful at that time just to be around somebody who loves you like that. Right. So, um, right. And I've seen pictures of you guys. I know you guys are happy. So fast forward a little bit. Tell me how you got mixed up with Connect. Like when you and I met, you were working for a company called Connect. Uh -huh. How did you get there? Um, that's a funny story. So um, I was working at a call center at the time and hated my life. Um, it was just miserable. Like I was trying really hard and I would be so nice on the phone to people and they would not reciprocate that. Um, and it was frustrating because people don't think that you're trying to help them. And I actually was. You weren't a so debt I, collector though. What, what, right? No, I was, I was like, I was helping people. I was like waiving fees and I was eliminating problems for them and that kind of thing. And they're still, you know, chewing me out. So I, I was miserable, man. It was like, hard. I'm and trying to help you. Come on. Like <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, just listen to me for two minutes, man. You, I'll get you off the phone in five minutes. But, but anyway, so, so, um, during that time, one of my mission companions was getting married and um, he's like one of my best friends now. And it, it just so happens that we met them or I'm, we went up to my mission president's homecoming. So like my entire mission is there and I didn't know that he was going and he didn't know I was going, but he brought his girlfriend at the time. Um, and we met up and, and as soon as we found out we were there together, me and him were together for tr three transfers and we're like, we're really similar so we had a blast on the mission like most people couldn't wait to like get rid of their companion after two transfers and when we found out we were staying together for three which for whoever anybody listening who's not familiar like a transfer is six weeks every six weeks you're assigned somebody who's going to be with you the whole time so when we found out we were going to be together for a third like we were yeah we were freaking out man we were we were singing dancing whatever like it was just a blast with this guy awesome. um shout out benji and uh so we were at the mission reunion and my wife met his girlfriend and they're like identical personalities like every they would, we would be talking all four of us and every five seconds it was like my wife would be like oh my gosh me too and then his wife or his girlfriend at the time would be like oh my gosh me too like the whole time so we were we always give them our time but we've been like best friends with them ever since. Um, they're some of our closest friends and we visit them anyway. When they got married, we went up to Reno, which is where they're from. And while everybody was setting up for the wedding, I was shooting hoops in the backyard with these two kids that I had no idea. They were like seven and 10 years old or something. And, um, everybody's like busy doing wedding stuff. And I was like, I'm just going to escape and, and like entertain these kids. And then this like seven foot tall, dude walks out onto the court and i was like oh my gosh like this guy's scary and he like, <laughs> not scary but like he's in, you know he's seven feet yeah. tall i was like wow this yeah. dude. and so he was like he, i don't i don't even remember what he said but it turned out he was the dad of those kids um and so then he started shooting around with us we just started talking and and i i like you know got his number i found out what he was doing he was like i work for connect i this company called connect they do sports stuff and yeah. all the stuff and i was like wow that sounds like a lot of fun and like yeah. super interesting. 
fast forward to a couple months later, um, I was on my break at lunch and he texted me and he was like, Hey, um, if we ever have a position open in Arizona, like, would you be interested? And I was like, 100%. Like, yes, please. And then a couple hours later, he texted me again and he said, Hey, we actually have an opening in Georgia right now. Um, are you down? And I was like, what the, sure. I was like, how could I be, how could I be down? But, but, and up to that point, I'm like someone who I love stability and security. Um, I'm a creature of habit. Like if I go to a restaurant, I get the same thing every single time. I don't stray. I know what I like. I don't, I don't like, um, <laughs> just the unknown is not, is not yeah. something that I'd been comfortable with up at, up until that point. But for some reason, like this felt different. I was like, you know what? I'm going to, I think this sounds enticing. Like, I think I might do it. So I go home to my wife and I was like, Hey, this guy texted me. Would you want to move to Georgia? And she was like, what the heck? And when she saw that I was serious, like it was just like instant tears. And she was like, are we moving to Georgia? And I was like, I think so. So I put my two weeks in like the next day. Um, and I moved to Georgia. I did an internship with them. Uh, doing, I was doing outbound calls. Cause I, I had just been on the phone. I was like, I take 90 calls a day. If I may have to make 30 or 40 or 50 calls for you guys, like that's great deal. Cake. Yeah. And so we went to Georgia, lived there. And then at the end of that, I got a promotion to do sales. So I got to move back to Arizona, um, which is where I got the role in which I met you. So it really just fell into my lap. I did nothing to earn it at all. Um, everyone in those positions that was doing my same jobs, like had degrees in the hospitality industry, or they had years of experience doing sales and stuff like that. And I was just, you know, completely in over my head, but I was just like trying to stay afloat. And th and that's how I came to connect. It was just, I don't know, just random. Well, you, the thing that's, the thing that's interesting is, is you can say I wasn't skilled in the sense of like, yeah, I didn't have the degree and didn't have the paper, but you knew how to connect. You, it's, it's natural. <laughs> yeah. And I think, you know, I think Honestly, one of the things that one of the greatest things about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is it puts you in a position in your life where connection becomes a huge part of your life, right? Like totally. Wherever you live, you've got other members of the church that are there, and for those that aren't members of the church, you're trying to connect with them to like share in a way or serve in whatever you can and being a member of that church, global church, it just, it, it kind of teaches you from a young age that connect with everybody, you know, connect. it's like an instant network. Yeah. Amen. And that's, yeah. and, and so I think, you know, you didn't have that degree, but you had the walk of life that taught you how to connect with people. And that's what I saw in you when I was at that connect meeting. And, and you have, you have great energy about, you have a great spirit about you. So, so go. No, I appreciate go, that. Yeah. Well, Hey, you know, I appreciate that. Cause that's you, not me. <laughs> um, so, so tell me about, if you don't mind, tell me a little bit about that experience working for connect. What was, what did that, what was that like? What did you learn from that? Did, did you get anything from that that really has changed your, your view of this life of this world? Cause, and, and I'll just say this before you answer that this connect is really all about taking different um, groups or, you know, like whether it's LG, whether it's uh, diversity, whether it's sports, like you said, whether it's like, you know, universities or government or whatever, you take these entities, if you will, 
and you bring people together and you bring planners and um, uh, hotels or convention centers together. And so you're meeting all kinds of people from all different walks of life. What did that, what did you gain from that? Honestly, it was, it was really eye-opening to me. Um, even though I had already served in New York city, which is the most diverse place you could ever be. Um, you know, my mission felt like a different life. It was like, I paused my life. I went and served a mission in this alternate universe. And then I came back and my life restarted, you know, it's like you hit play, but then I moved to Georgia. Um, and it's the South, man. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of black people there. Um, and it was, I'm telling you, it was different because here in Mesa, it's like you, you only really see majority white people or, or Caucasian people. I, I don't know what the politically correct term is, but over there, it's like, at every grocery store, the workers are, are black. And in the office, the workers are black, the, the accountant, the, the president of sales, the everything. And I was like, this is amazing. Like, I have never experienced anything like this in this type of environment. And I was like, it, to me, I loved it. And, and I made some amazing friends in Georgia. And I loved it so much. The people there are just so nice and everything. And I loved it. But it was so eye-opening because to me, it was like, it was in, in my mind, it was progressive because I'd never experienced anything like that. I was like, this place is so diverse. There's literally everyone here. Everyone has a shot. Um, and the initiatives that connect was doing, I thought were really cool too, because they have specific programs for LGBTQ and for, uh, women and for, you know, whatever the case is. And, and I'd never experienced anything like that before and part of that is because just inexperience you know i was so young um and i'd never had like a career a job that could be a career um but i loved it because connect brought so many people together and it's facetime you know I, at that point i hated talking on the phone but i could talk to anybody face to face that's great because people respect you more face to face it's a lot easier to have a conversation most of the time and the point of connect was literally to sit people down face to face and there's people doing csrs and there's people doing all these raffles and and basketball tournaments and whatever and everybody knows each other you know like you're you're at a connect event and I, if i'm walking next to the seven foot guy that i met patrick everybody knows patrick and they're like hey patrick and he would just be like oh that's uh that's jojo from houston and that's sam from san diego and this person from alaska and he knew everybody i was like this is the coolest thing i've ever seen like everybody's connected um I think that's the biggest takeaway. I don't, I don't know if, if there's a direct takeaway, but I think it really helped me build on my networking skills. Um, it shifted my view to like what real life actually is. Um, and it, it was just a really, really cool experience. It was really hard. It also helped me realize that I wasn't good at, I'm not good at everything, which is, you know, I, I think growing up in high school, I've, I've never been the best at anything, but I was often above average at, pro, at most things, you know? Um, so like I was a successful athlete and I had fun and I, and I always had a starting position and in choir, like I was in the, in the top choir with no tr previous training and think, you know, things that don't matter now, um, at the time they mattered, but at, at a certain point, you know, you, you build this confidence. And then I got into this new role and I was like, there are so many people out here who are so much more qualified than me and they were just as hard. So it was like, a, it was also a wake up call because I'm like, man, who am I? Like all these people have so much to show me and teach me with their stories or with their work ethic and, and things like that. So it was, it was just, uh, it was eye opening in a lot of ways. 
what a what a cool thing though to go back to like you're living in Arizona, you're comfortable, you're newlywed, and this guy calls you and he's like, "Hey, we got a spot now in Georgia. You ready for this?" And if you would have said no, that was crazy. It's not like you. It's not like your life wouldn't have given you that opportunity at some point, but for you to get that while you're young to understand how awesome diversity is. I mean, oh, what yeah. a, what a blessing in this world that God's children are all so different. If we were all the same, holy cow, it would be so boring. And um, what a blessing it is that, that you can go and you can meet different walks of life and have your eyes open and, and grow in your compassion and your love and, and just your ability to really like look out for the marginalized groups or, or anybody who's suffering or struggling. And, and right, like one thing I know about you is you really love to celebrate people when they have achievements, whatever it is, whether it's big or small, mm -hmm. you're somebody right. who's really like, as you've grown, as you've matured, as you've learned, um, one of the things that we do that, that we have to overcome as human beings is sometimes we get envious of people that get something above us, or we see someone excelling and succeeding and we're like, why not me? Why not me? And we, we get a little bitter. But I know that you're right. the person, one of the one of the people that's kind of stopped yourself and said, hey, why do I do that? Like, I need to celebrate every time someone has a win, because if that was me and someone celebrated me, it makes me feel like a million bucks. Right. So right. That, those kind of experiences get us to those places where we're able to do that more quickly and recognize those things faster. But you, I mean you you start going through some some tough stuff here in the next few years right like so you guys move back yeah. to arizona you take a sales job and then and then mm -hmm. kind of start from there what happens next yeah so um i worked a sales job for about nine months um and i was really excited because i was working remote i was i was on a plane like two or three times a month traveling my instagram stories were popping you know like it was it looked like i was doing it would look like i was doing <laughs> my thing life. you know yeah, but but really, like it it was such a big challenge because when I'd never worked from home, I had to learn how to work from home and be productive there. Um, and then the the when I got hired onto this company, um, it was it was Patrick, the the guy that I met on the basketball court that day. Um, he really helped me a lot, and he was like my he kind of took me under his wing. He like protected me and he, you know, showed me stuff. But when I moved back to Arizona, he was no longer around. Yeah. Um, and it was just, it was hard for me to like get my bearings and um, ask the right questions. And, and sometimes it was just hard to get the help that I thought that I needed. So at some point it made me lose motivation to, to really like work as hard. And because I was like, man, I'm not as good as this. I'm not as good at this as I want to be or as my, as my coworkers are, my coworkers are crushing it. Like they're literally carrying me. Oh, those questions, um, right? Like a little bit of like self doubt starts to play in, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and yeah, so it was tough. And so it got to the point where, you know, I had a conversation with my boss and he was like, Hey man, like, I don't, I don't really know if this is working out how we need it to like, what, what are your thoughts? Um, and so we had a conversation and basically he was like, I'm going to talk to the president of the company, uh, we're going to figure it out, but these are some of the options that might happen. Um, and I was like, okay, like this is a hard conversation, but you got to have it. And I appreciate it, you know? And that day I was like, I got to get out of here because I'm wasting the company's time. I'm wasting their money. Like I'm not really that helpful for them. Um, but then I had to decide like what I was going to do. And so I, I really, I took the job initially because I had no direction. Like I didn't have a career path. And so I was like, this might be it. I'm just going to take a chance. Um, 
And so at that point, I decided that a, a lot of people, you know, you're just influenced by who you're around at the time. So people, I'd been running into a lot of lawyers and people telling, I would like speak in church and somebody oh, would be like, hey, yourself, you're a great you're getting yourself in trouble, man. Is that what was going on here? No, no, <laughs> no. I mean, that's definitely what that sounded like. But like at church or, or I had a friend who was in law school at the time and um I don't know. I just kept hearing things about law school and law school and, and law school. And so I was like, you know what? Like, I think law school would give me a shot to provide for my family. The, the thing about me is I, I don't feel like I'm super passionate about a lot of things um, besides sports and I'm not going to be in the NBA. So I was like, I got to, I can tolerate almost anything. Like I can really put myself through something. If I have a goal, like I feel like I can accomplish it or, or I can tolerate anything if it means I'm going to get through to, to the goal. And so my goal was to just provide for my family. So my thoughts were, what, what is a job that I feel like I'm capable of doing that will give me like a comfortable life? I don't, I don't need, um, riches. I don't need it to be lucrative. I just need, I just want it to be comfortable. I want to be able to give my kids the things that they need and also some of the things that they want. Um, because that's not really the type of child that I had. It was like strictly what you need basically. And every once in a while, we would, you know, get an Xbox or I would get like the new pair of basketball shoes or whatever, but it, it, we didn't do vacations and we didn't do those kinds of things. Cause my, my parents were teachers and it's just low, you know, you know how it is. Um, so I decided on law school and I had no idea how to apply for law school. I had no idea what the prereqs are. I had no idea anything. Um, but basically I had a, I had a conversation with my wife and I was like, um, babe, I, I think I have to choose what I'm going to do now because I'm going to quit my job and I think I'm, I'm going to go to law school. And, and she was like, what the heck? Like, um, okay. And, and she didn't really question it. I, I think she had questions like, because it was so unexpected, but she, I don't think she ever doubted me. She was like, okay, like, if that's what you're going to do, like, let's do it. Perfect. Hey, hey you did um, the same thing when you said we're moving to Georgia and she was like, exactly. Here's, this is easy, man. <laughs> and so yeah so so at that point um and like i mentioned briefly earlier but like in that same conversation i told my wife like hey um i think i'm ready to have kids you know and we never really talked about it before i was just a hard no before it was like people would ask like are you gonna have kids soon i'm like nope 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 but something changed and so at that point i feel like we we did this big pivot in a different direction and so we were like gonna have a kid or try to have a kid and and I'm going to go to law school. So then I went back to school full time. I found part-time jobs that would let me be flexible with school. So I worked at the Nike store here at the mall. And I also uh, was a valet driver, not, not ballet, but valet with the V um, at the Phoenix Suns games. So um, that was a lot of fun. Cause I was driving, you know, a lot of exotic cars and it was, it was really fun. It was a really fun time in my life going back to undergrad going to ASU, working at Nike, working at the Suns Arena. Um, and so that's how I transitioned into that. Then it was just a grind. I was like, I got to get through school ASAP and prepare to take the LSAT and um, and hopefully get into law school anywhere. I So I can only imagine at that time, you're going 100 miles an hour, man. And, and like, mm -hmm. you're getting locked and loaded. And I think I think for you, you've grown up all of a sudden because you're like, yeah, I'm ready for a kid. I'm ready. And and Haley is right, right. with you, right? She's like, all right, let's do this. Like, I'm good. Was she working at the time? 
Probably. <laughs> I think she was working at a school. Um, at that at that point, Haley, um, she was working a lot in the school, so she would work as like a teacher's assistant or yeah. a para. I don't I don't know what the titles are. Um, she might have been working insurance at some point. I don't really remember exactly at that time what she was doing, but did you, did you she was drive, working. Did you ever drive Devin Booker's car? No, he parked in the basement. Um, but I, I, I mean, Devin Booker drove the same car as a lot of the cars that I got to drive. So yeah, have fun, man. Um, so, so go, go forward. Now you're in law school now, right? So you're at ASU. Yeah. So you actually yes, got sir. into the school right there in your backyard which is, was that the goal? It was a miracle. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a miracle, man. My, my, uh, it's kind of law school is kind of hush hush where I'm at. Like you don't really talk about grades and you don't talk about your LSAT score and all that entrance stuff, but I, I don't care, man. I'm just, there's a lot of big brains at law school, a lot of genius people at law school and I'm not one of them. So I'm super open <laughs> with where I'm at with stuff. Um, but like all my, all my entrance stuff was below their median. My GPA was below my LSAT score was below. So I don't know how I got in, but, but I did. And so it, they called me and they were like, if you want to come here, you can sign this letter of intent. And I was like, done signed, sent. I'm there. And you're lucky to have me, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Yeah. I, I feel really lucky to be there. I am sure you do. And and what a humbling thing it is to know that you got in, even though you weren't hitting all those levels. But I think, I think that's the thing, Juan, is I think, there sometimes uh, within certain people, there's this natural ability to connect and to, you find those people that look outward and you're one of those people. And, and there's, you get a different sense when you're around those kind of people. Uh, they, they make people feel welcome and warm and loved. And I, I used to say this about my, my dad a lot. My dad passed away of brain cancer. And, and, and when he was for about 11 months, when he was going through it, people would come to the house to try and uplift him. And, and I mean, when someone has terminal cancer and you go to visit them, what do you think, right? Like, what can I say to the person that's there? Like, well, I don't right. want to be there to like wrap my arms around them and tell them I love them and thank you. Right. And, and I remember as they would come, as people would come to try and say something to uplift my dad, um, they would walk away feeling like a million dollars because they felt like my dad would uplift them. Right. That's, that, there's certain people that have those abilities, certain people that kind of get it. And, and I think experience that, that whole opportunity with you to go out to, well, first of all, your, your mission in New York, holy cow, you know, you're out there serving people for two years and, and it's different diversity, you know, cultures and, and all this stuff. And they come from all different walks of life. And so you're trying, you're trying to teach them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet at the same time, you're learning about like all these different walks they are coming from. And then you say yes to going to Georgia, which was huge. And that gives you a chance to just kind of like really throw yourself into diversity and learn and grow. And, and honestly, you know, I would say if you put your resume up to some of those other kids that got into law school at that point, those kids, good for them, but good, they probably grew up in homes where mom and dad, you know, grades were huge to them. And that was the focus. And so when school year came, that's the lockdown. That's what you do. And, and that's, that's good. That's a good thing. But I think some of the experiences and the walks of life that you had gave you more resume builders than some of those other kids who may have missed out on some of those opportunities to really connect with people. And what's the job right. of a year? You got to connect with people. You got to, right. you, you got to 
tug at those heartstrings, man. And you're going to be good at that when you, when you get the chance to be up there. If I, when I, when I, when I, when I, um, have my next criminal offense, I'm going to be calling. <laughs> <laughs> Call me, man. Yeah. You got my number. Yeah, I'll reach out. I know a guy. He's really good. He's going to lie for me. All kinds of stuff. I'm just kidding. But, uh, but I'll I give you the homie discount. Yeah. But I think, I think, and I got to say, I've, I've been reading this book by, by Victor Frankl. You know, you know, he is, he's the one that survived the, the Jewish camps and all that. And, and he wrote a book, a man's search for meaning, but he's got a new book out that's called yes to life. And he talks a lot about say, yes, say yes, a lot more than you say no. And, and I look at your life and you did that. You did just that. You said yes to those things and it opened doors for you. And, and I think there's something to that person that is proactive rather than reactive. And, and you are saying, yes, you're trying to grow. You're trying to learn. You don't have direction yet. You're trying to figure that out. But as you say yes to these things, doors just kind of open and it, and it brings you to where you're supposed to be. Um, yeah. I think God's really good at doing that for us if we move, right? Um, okay, so law school, your wife gets pregnant with your first and, and, and kind of mm-hmm. go into that story because I know this is kind of where you go through some dark stuff here. Yeah, um, <clears throat> that that was a crazy time. So I, I decided to go to law school and that, you know, that was still years away, but we still wanted to have a kid and we'd been married, I think, for two years at the time. Um, and so we, we got pregnant really fast, it, I, you know, right away, basically. And it was like so exciting. Like we we made a video to, you know, really, you know, let everybody know on Instagram. It was like yeah. this big thing. And or we thought, you know, it was big for us. And and so it was it was a lot of fun. Like we couldn't wait to tell our families. We did the whole like, how are we going to tell them and how are we going to do the reveal and all this stuff? And, you know, everybody's freaking out. And um, it's just happy time, you know, like when you when you have a, a wanted pregnancy, it's just like so fun and, and exciting. And, and so basically what happened was um, my wife found out she was pregnant um we got in to do a, a a heartbeat um appointment or whatever with the ob and we hear the heartbeat and it's just like man you're just you're flying you know like hearing the there's like a separate heartbeat in inside of uh you know Haley's tummy or her stomach or or whatever you want to phrase it is just amazing like life is life is amazing and so we left that that appointment, like feeling so good and, and excited. And we're like, man, is this a boy? Is it a girl? We start thinking of names and we have a list and whatever, you know, the whole process. Um, so then we, we go to our next appointment. It, it might've been the very next appointment or maybe two appointments after that, but it was the one where we were going to find out the gender. Um, and that day was just like such an exciting day. I, I, I think I probably took work off to go to the appointment and, um, you know, we posted on our Instagram, like everyone comment what you think this is going to be boy, girl, whatever. Um, so then we go to the appointment and, um, our doctor, our doctor was, he was a great guy. And, um, he, he comes in he's like, all right, you guys ready? And do you guys want to know what, what your baby's going to be? And we said, yeah, of course. So he starts scanning with the ultrasound machine and, um, the heartbeat's still there and everything is good. And, it, but the doctor is quiet. He's not saying a single thing and it's probably five minutes, which doesn't seem long, but, um, five minutes of dead silence is an eternity of time. And the look of concern so, in the doctor's face. Right? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And he, he's not making eye contact with us. Um, it's just really weird. And, and we don't know what questions to ask or, or if we should not say anything, if this is normal. So, 
um, after a little while, he just says, I don't know what this is. And, and we were like, what, what, what does that mean? Um, I don't know what this is. And, and he says, I don't know if your baby's a boy or a girl. I, I can't really tell, but I, I've never seen this before. And, you know, your heart, our hearts just dropped at that point. Um, you kind of freeze up and, and don't know what to think. And, and he just says, here's, here's this specialist number. I'm going to send you guys here. Give him a call. See if you can go today. Um, and he, hopefully he can tell you what's going on. And so I remember we walked out. I uh, didn't say a word to each other. We both got in the car and, and, you know, it was just like instant tears. Like there, there was nothing to say um to each other and that was a really weird feeling because i think that it wasn't necessarily that we or i can only speak for myself but i, I you know i was crying and and i i don't know if it was out of sadness or out of fear um but two things that i don't really like feeling at any point um and so then we kind of just sat in the car for maybe 10 or 15 minutes and and then we called the doctor and they were able to get us in i think it was that day it might have been the next day um, so we go to the specialist and, um, basically what, what they told us was that number one, um, our, our baby didn't have the two sex chromosomes that are, that are needed. So if in girls, I, I'm not a doctor, so don't quote me, but in girls, it's, uh, or scientists, girls, it's a YY for the sex chromosomes and for boys, it's an XY. Um, but our baby didn't get the sex chromosome um so she just had a y um she didn't have yy or xy it was just y um so they told us that and, and what that's called is that's called turner syndrome so if, if these babies are born um they're they're girls they're little girls but they are typically born with deformities they they don't grow to like normal height they have some developmental issues um but it, it can vary you know it's case by case um but second, um, she had an issue with some of the part of her body that regulates fluid inside of the body and, and in development, um, that part didn't develop fully or it didn't make it to where it was supposed to. And so the fetus had developed um, these really big cysts. Um, and so she had a cyst um, that was kind of like, a, if you imagine like a cloak or a hood or something, it was from her forehead like her eyebrows and wrapped over the top of her head down to her back and all the way down to her, uh, so like her tailbone and her hands had cysts. So that was one big cyst in the back and then her hands had cysts, her feet had cysts. Yeah. Um, and the doctor said, you know, your, your baby probably has, you know, less than a 1% chance of, of making it. And so we're going to give you guys the choice to, you know, let, let this happen naturally or or we can do an abortion um and we didn't even really need to talk about it you know we we said if, if she's gonna make it like we want her and so um regardless of of what issues we have to deal with after that um but we want to give her a chance because she was still her heart was still going and she was a little undersized at that time but um you know how can you choose how can you choose that for another life um is how we felt about it at that time so um we said no like we're just gonna we're gonna see what happens um and so then we would we would go back for weekly appointments and um they would check for a heartbeat and, and if it was there we just went home boom 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 so that happened maybe four or five times and then maybe five weeks later my wife was 24 weeks pregnant and um 
we we went in for the appointment and and there was no heartbeat and we were expecting it be, because that's what they told us to expect um and like i mentioned a little earlier um we had throughout this whole process we kind of numbed ourselves to the possibility of having a baby you know like the joy of the pregnancy and the anticipation just wasn't there mm-hmm. i think it was how we just coped with the hard feelings and so um we kind of just lived life mentally as if we weren't going to have a baby but um so we kind of blocked out all the feelings but when they told us like it was official and you know your baby's passed away um just brought it all back and just brought all those feelings back way harder um so that was a really hard a really hard experience because i mean one you you you're losing a life you know even though we we had never met her and, and we named her mara um so mara uh we never met her while she was alive um haley still had to give birth to her so you know we were admitted into the hospital haley had contractions and and she was born like a, a natural birth um and but she obviously was still born um and she had the cysts and and she wasn't fully developed so she she didn't look like a normal baby but it, it we were still just overcome with like um you know we felt like parents it's the craziest thing to say um but it was it was really hard and at the same time it was just like this amazing feeling like hey we did this together like we we just did this thing like we're parents this is mara that we've met her we got to hold her she she stayed the night in our room that night um our nurses were amazing but um despite how hard it was it was like it, it brought us together um it, it was just really, it really was a whirlwind, a whirlwind of emotion. There probably wasn't a single emotion that we didn't hit um, at that, at that time and over the next couple of days, uh, because we had to, we had to have a funeral um, and, and that whole process was hard. And, and so doing that and, and all that, it was just, man, it was, it was different. And it was something, it was feelings I'd never felt before. And, and hopefully not something I have to feel for a long time. I, I don't um, but I, I'd imagine too. Um, I mean, so so much excitement around having a, a baby. Your first, you make the decision, right? You and your wife make the decision. You've been through a lot together. When you make that decision, I think back to my me and my wife, and and I I know people relate to this all the time that, that plan to want to have kids, and there's that excitement, right? I mean, you just you're so excited. You hear that heartbeat, and I'll never forget that first time I ever heard my first child's heartbeat you do you just you like you are just like oh my gosh that's the most amazing sound i've ever heard in my life right and and i one i can't imagine the emotional ro- roller coaster that you and haley went on and and first of all i'm i'm sorry man like that's i feel for you and i feel for your wife that's that's hard and that's a tough thing you never wish that upon anybody as you guys as as mara um passed away gave birth to her, Haley gave birth to her. Then, you know, you're able to spend that time around her a little bit. And then you had to have a funeral. A few days later, as, as the dust kind of settles, all of a sudden, does, does the, does the, the hardness of that, does the, the darkness, the trial of that start to settle in? Is that, did it get pretty heavy for you after it kind of settled a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. It was, um, I'm telling you, it was just a, a new, thing for me completely because i i feel like typically i'm pretty 
good at managing my emotions um, and, and just kind of staying even keeled, never too high, never too low. Um, but man, this was different. It was, I've never dealt with anything like this before. Um, you know, it's just different. The, the love that you have for your family members and stuff and, and good friends and, and, and people who are close who have grown up with you or whatever, like it's, it's really strong and you can develop, you know, insanely strong feelings for people who you meet. Um, but I think the love that you have for, for a kid is different, is different. Um, and it's really hard to explain for someone who isn't a parent. Um, but parents will know if you're a parent, you're listening, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and so after the dust settled of, of all of that stuff, man, it, it got really hard. It, it was really hard for her and, and definitely harder for her than it was for me because she had an even stronger bond with the baby than I did. Um, and she had to do the hardest part. And so I, I really, really felt for her and it was hard because I, I didn't know how to be there for her. You know, I would say, Hey, are you okay? Knowing she was not, but it was, it was the only thing I knew how to say to let her know I was checking in. Um, but I, I had no idea how to help. And so I felt lost because I had lost a kid and, and I felt lost because I wanted to be there for my wife and I had no idea how. Um, so that, that aspect was really hard. I was like, man, this is a big trial for our marriage. Like, what if this leads to other things? Like, what if we can't overcome this? What if we, I don't know when, when you're in a dark place, like you really just start making everything worst case scenario. It's like, what if we get a divorce? What if we, and that's not something we ever talked about, but like when you're just sitting there and your thoughts, it's like what you cover every, every bad possibility. Um, it was also bad because I had just started a an LSAT prep course where I was going in person like four hours for one night a week for four or five hours. And they were teaching us stuff. And, and I did that for like three months after that. And I didn't get a single thing out of that. I wasted a couple grand on that class because I could not focus, man. My, my focus wasn't there. I wasn't myself. I, I couldn't get myself to like be disciplined and do work. It was just, it just wasn't there. Um, so yeah, it was, it was really, really hard, um, to, to feel like ourselves. The, the pressures, like what's interesting about what you just said is like, you know, the LSAT, you spent money on that work. It's mm -hmm. hard to like engage at work when you're feeling all these things, you start to look at your marriage and you go, gosh, you know, like this is what, like, first of all, we try to have a baby. It didn't work. Like things have worked for my life up to this point. Why didn't this work? What's going on? You have these questions. You question yourself. Your wife's definitely questioning herself. Um, that's hard. And, and, and that, yeah. that anxiety and that darkness, you want to find a way out. You don't know how to do that. You've never been in this place before. It can get super overwhelming. And when you've got all these other pressures, pressures and even, you know, what you're studying and the finances of what you just paid for, but yet you can't, you're, you're not getting any gain from that. And so you're probably gonna have to redo it that's another pressure in and of itself. And, and that's going to cause right. a conversation with you and your wife. And it's going to be like, there's a lot of frustrating things around that that could stop you in your tracks and, and actually disconnect you guys moving forward. So what did you do um, to take care of your wife? Like what, what did you learn and what did you do to make sure that you helped her and yourself, but like helped you guys move forward with hope? Yeah, I, I think that a big thing was um, we just tried hard to, like, focus on the future. Um, 
which seems like such a simple thing to say, but um, time is going to happen regardless. And you're going to, you're going to like, for example, this is, uh, this is going to be really random. I'm going to try and tie it back in. But like when I was deciding to go to law school, I was talking to a good friend of mine, his uncle, like one of, one of my best friends, his whole family's like my family. I've known them for such a long time. And, and I talked to them about life and stuff. And I was like, Hey, I think I'm going to law school, but I'm going to be 29 when I graduate, like all the, I'm going to be old, man. I'm going to be a first year lawyer at 29. And he was like, look, man, like you're going to be 29 at that time, regardless. In three years of law school, whether, whether you do them in law school or not, like those three years are going to pass by. And that hit me really hard. I was like, you know what? That, that's such a great point because three years from now is three years from now, regardless of whether I'm in school or not. And I kind of took that approach with, you know, with what happened with us. It was like a year from now is a year from now or 10 years is 10 years, regardless of what we do in between. And so it's like, do we, do we want to sit here in our, in our trial for forever or, or do we try to move on to the next thing? Um, and so we just try to have an open line of communication. Um, I kind of just buckled down after I, I finished that course. I was like, man, I, I still, I still am in school. Like I'm still paying tuition. I'm still, we still have a family. Um, like our family is not, dissolved you know and so it was like i still got to get into law school and so i i signed up for another course and it was a self-taught course and i just did that every single day um up until i took the lsat and i i think Haley, i think she w just went back to work and she had a hard time but but she was fighting and she fought really hard and i'm so proud of her for that because i can't imagine what um what it would have felt like to be in her shoes honestly it's just crazy so i think i think we both just buckled down we were like we still want to have a family we we want to have a baby we want to get into law school we want to you know we want to be successful and we want to we want to have a beautiful life together and so we can't waste this time like the time is going to pass by anyways so um i don't know I, I think one of the things that helped honestly was was that uh we tried to have another baby not too long after that yeah um and, and we got pregnant with diego Mara was born on February 3rd of 2018. Yeah. And um, I think we found out we were pregnant either in June or July. So four or five months after that. Okay. That's awesome. Like I, the yeah. thing to like look ahead and say, okay, it's not, it's not over. I mean, it, it like you kind of take that for what it's worth. Like you said, you had all the emotions, like it's a beautiful thing. It's so difficult. It's so difficult. It's dark, but like, it's a beautiful thing. Right. And, and, right. and to just kind of buckle in, get moving forward. I'm sure there was a lot more foot rubs, a lot more chocolate, <laughs> more roses every once in a while. Yeah. Um, uh, it, 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 that says a lot about Haley as well though. Cause that, that's something that could knock anybody off their feet for quite a while. And uh, so kudos to you guys for, for having the faith, um, well, what do they call it? The law of attraction, right? I, I, if you've seen the law of attraction on, they used to have it on Netflix. It's like, whatever you think in your mind can come to pass. And I, and I watched it and I loved yeah. it. I'm like, well, they're missing out. That That's called faith. It's called faith. It's pretty simple. <laughs> law of attraction is right, faith. There's other words for this. Yeah. Right. right? We've known that for, for thousands of years, but uh, that's what it's all about is that you have that seed of hope and you have that faith and you start to envision, you know, down the road and 
okay, I'm on this path right now. So let's focus on that for now. I can put my emotions here and my energy here and, and try and, and, and I'll come back to this space when I have to, but like right now I need to focus here to get where I need to be. And uh, right. it's awesome. Um, so anyway, next, next baby comes, man. We got Diego coming up, buddy. Man, Diego is the best. The I don't best. care now, what anybody else says. <laughs> no, he, so before you go into that, Diego was born at how many pounds? Diego was a massive 10 pounds, 9 ounces. Man, that is not a small baby. <laughs> no, it is by no means a small baby. Yes, yes. So tell me about Diego. Yeah, Diego, man, Diego had his fair, uh, fair share of challenges as well. Um, so Diego always measured big during the pregnancy. Um, chunky guy. And so we always knew. And, and when he got here, man, he was chunky and so Haley Haley pushed for three hours with Diego and the doctor came in and said this this isn't happening so we're gonna we're gonna cut you up <laughs> so after three hours in, come on yeah after, after and Haley was a champ man she she took the epidural and the epidural is supposed to numb you and Haley was like able to stand up she was like this isn't working like just, this baby's got to come out um so that was crazy so we did a c-section the doctor uh, you know, makes the incision, goes in and, and starts laughing. And I was like, what the heck is happening? Why is she laughing? And she pulls Diego out and she says, this baby is like 10 pounds. I'm not kidding. And I have a little video and you can hear like the, you can hear the doctor say that. And you can hear the nurses like gasp and laugh because he was massive. I, I, I can send you a picture after this. You can see. Yeah. Um, but man, so Diego was born and it was kind of scary because we had just had a, you know, a really hard experience with birth. Yeah. And when, when Diego was born, he, his oxygen levels were really, really low. And so was his blood sugar. And so oh. we got to hold him. We got to hold him for 20 minutes maybe. And, and then the doctors were like, he's going to go to the nursery for a couple hours. And then he's going to go to the NICU. And we were like, you're joking. Yeah. Why is this happening to us? You know, like, you, you always hear about stuff happening to people and all of a sudden it's happening to you. And we're like, you never expect that something like this is going to happen. So we thought something was really seriously wrong, but yeah, I mean, luckily in the nursery, Diego's 10 pounds and NICUs for babies that are born premature, right? Like, yeah. Or, or other things. And, yeah. and we had no idea, which is why it was so scary because up until that second, they were like, this baby's so healthy. He's yeah. so big, yeah. you know, heart rate, heart rate is good. All that blood pressure, everything is good. And so then when they tell you that they're going to take your kid to the NICU, how are you supposed to react? And so Did they start um, to have like more energy at that point. Did they kind of concern you guys too, as you watch their body language where they, were you kind of like, what's going on? No, uh, no I don't know. I, I feel like it w birth is just a crazy time anyways. And so I don't know how much more you could have elevated the feelings that were already there. Sure. If that makes sense. So there was a couple of things that were happening with Diego. His, his blood sugar was super low. His oxygen was really low and his feet were really, really crooked coming out of the, out of the womb. Um, and so there was all this stuff and they're like, oh man, your baby might have clubfoot and he's not breathing right. And, and when Diego would breathe and I'm sorry to do this over the mic, but he would sound like this. He would sound like, ah, ah, like he was making noise. It sounded like he was suffocating almost. 
Oh. Um, so he spends time in the NICU. We, I, I'm in there with him. And, and it was so sad because Haley had just gotten a C-section. She's all loopy on, on sedatives or whatever. And, and she wasn't allowed to go in the NICU because she could, she wasn't allowed to stand up and her bed couldn't fit through the NICU door. And Diego wasn't allowed to leave. So she didn't get to see him for like six or seven hours. Oh, that'd be so and then I was, she was by herself because I wasn't there. I was with the baby. And so we were feeding Diego. We were checking his oxygen and stuff and he's breathing super weird. Um, but after a couple hours, they were like, Hey, Diego's doing fine. Um, he's going to be fine. He's just got to, we just got to get his blood sugar up and he'll go to your room after that. So that cooled down and, and, and it was all good. I mean, for a little bit um <laughs> but diego was like happy he he was eating right away we gave him some sugar gel ate it we get he he latched on right away Haley fed him right away like no issues like he's a kid pounds, that big, he's, he wants to yeah, eat yeah he's got to <laughs> eat he needed he needed to eat yes and so um so yeah so then diego was born and and it turns out he had this thing called laryngomalacia i don't know if i said that right he had extra tissue around his voice box so whenever he would breathe, it was, it was like triggering this tissue and it was making noise. Um, and so he probably had that noise for maybe, I don't know, a year, maybe. I, I honestly don't remember how long it was. So people would hold him and get scared because it sounded like he's suffocating. And we're just like, oh no, he's fine. It's just how he breathes. Um, but then with his feet, he, he got casts on my birthday um got his cast on and that was such a hard day because he wouldn't stop crying he was so uncomfortable and he wore casts for two weeks at that point to straighten his feet out and and the cast came off his feet were straight the doctor was like don't worry about it no follow-up nothing like he's good to go so we were like perfect and and diego was like a super energetic kid crawling around like crazy he's starting to stand up and then at 10 months he's like standing up on his own not quite walking but we took him back to the doctor because his feet were going inward again um and so we went back to the specialist and they were like yeah we got to do casts again so diego at that point had to get casts on for another five weeks um which was really hard because now he has to learn to crawl with casts on he can't move his legs he's like trying to stand up in his casts and he i mean he's not complaining but me and Haley are watching this kid and it's just so hard to watch him try and crawl with these heavy stiff you know things on his legs um but he came out of it like a champ like he got his cast off and he's moving around crawling standing up didn't take him long to get walking so um man diego is just the best it's just been so fun to see him like grow and and do whatever he's doing that's awesome man and 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 that so is he like is he still measuring big for his age now too Yes. Um, we haven't been to a doctor's appointment in the, in a little bit. Haley, I think is going to take him pretty soon, but, um, at every single appointment, he was a hundred percentile in everything, hundred percent in, in height, weight and head size, every single appointment. And now you put him next to his two-year-old friends or sometimes three-year-old friends. And he's just as big, if not bigger than them still. That's awesome. So he's still just a massive kid. Yeah. Yeah. So in, you know, I, Juan, you're, you're tall, but you're not, you're not big. I mean, like you're not no, i'm a small big, guy yeah like you're not like a big guy I'm a and small guy a big girl so it's like man no he's a he's a big boy you got he's gonna be yeah i don't know i don't know where he came from but he'll for sure be the he'll be the protector that's for right. sure that's right i love it well that, you know that that's i love it i love the fact that like 
even though even though Diego's had his struggles to start, and you and I talked about this a little bit one day, and that's hard on a dad, right? Dad and mom to see him with his legs, and especially I think a, ma- a male um, that loves sports. You played ball in college, mm-hmm. you love hoops. Uh, to see your son that's got some feet problems when he's a young kid, all you want is hope. And it's not that you're like, well, if he doesn't, I want my kid to play in the NBA. And if he doesn't, I'm disappointed. That's not it. But you just want him to have all the opportunities that that he would love to have, right, for your son, if he wants right. it. And and I'm I'm sure those were some there were some moments within there that you just that that hurt you quite a bit, and and you you probably had a lot of probably threw up a lot of prayers like we do on the court sometimes, right? You throw up a lot of prayers. <laughs> yes, man. No, it was t- it was tough because, and I'm sorry to cut you off. It was it was hard because we would see him doing you know going through this really hard thing, and and we would literally talk about just taking the cast off ourselves because. For babies, or at least the ones that we used, you could just unwrap them with your hands. Um, you didn't need a machine to like cut through them or or whatever. Um, and so there was times where we were like, "Do we just take these things off and just like risk it and see what happens?" And and really, it came down to us holding back because if obviously I love sports, man, I I still do. I I I'm as active as I can be given my situation with with school and a family. Um, but I want, like you said, I want Diego to have the choice. Like if, if he doesn't play sports, then that's fine. I just want him to be passionate about anything. If that's sports, of course, I would love that that much more. But I wouldn't want his chances to be ruined by my choice to not suffer a hardship as a parent. And so we just had to tell ourselves, like, we have to do this hard thing for him. Because if he has a choice or if he wants to do something, and he can't do it because we failed to do our job as parents, then how can we live with that at any point? And so we just want to give him the best chance to do whatever he wants to do, regardless of what it ends up being. That's awesome. And I, you know, I think, I think about what you just said there as a parent, um, that, that sometimes means as our kids get older, older too, that sometimes means a saying no to them, right? Like I think having that perspective, like, I want my kids to have all the best opportunity in the world. It's their choice, but, but I want to be there to guide them. I want to be able to be there to help them without force. Um, that's really cool. And as, as a parent that's starting to have, you know, my daughter's nine now and she's starting to make decisions, you know, that includes some yeses and some nos for her, right? Like right. It's not me making that decision. It's me just talking her through it, coaching her through it and trying to help her understand because ultimately it's her choice, but I want her to, you know, with like what you said, with the passions, you want them to be able to pick and do whatever it is they want to do and know that they can do right. Job, right. So man, I'll tell you, that's, that's a lot, but you during like, you're not, we're not done here. You, you've got another piece, of this <laughs> one, right? And this one, yeah. this one's interesting to me because um, a lot of people get there in their lives where, uh, we have this view of the world and who we are and, and why we're here. Right. And when we get to a place where we, we start to, to feel connected to something. And if, if that something that we are connected to starts to come into question, it can shake us at our very core. Right. So right right now, as you, as you're getting a little bit older, you're going into law school, you're really starting to see your life unfold and, and you kind of see a, a door, a doorway to the future for you. 
there's some there's a little bit of some faith question coming into your life. It, talk about that if you don't mind. Share share with us, you know, what what you've learned from that. Yeah, of course. So, um, I guess I, I've been raised in the LDS church my entire life. Both of my parents were members, and and they were married in the church. And you know, growing up, it was church every Sunday. At a certain age, it was church every Sunday, and then Wednesday night youth activities and trips and campouts and and everything you know the whole the whole deal um and so that was my whole life growing up and it was something that i always accepted it was just like my identity um i identified with this group of people and and it felt right and the church i feel like made me a really good person not not that i'm like above anybody but it just generally taught me good principles of how to how to live a life that was respectable it kept me out of trouble um it really it really helped me know how to treat others and also, you know, how to say no to a lot of things that kids were getting into. Um, and it made it easy. Like I was never, um, I, I never fell into drugs or alcohol or anything like that. Um, simply because I was like, Hey, this, this is my identity. I, I want to keep my integrity. I'm going to do the best I can. And, and it just made it easy. Like, and, and everybody knew, Oh, Juan's Mormon. I'm not even gonna ask, you know, and, and that made things easy. Um, and it was also easy because there's a lot of uh lds people in mesa and tons of them at my high school and, and the majority of of my circle uh growing up or people that were close to me are also members of the church and so it's literally just a way of life and and that's how it was um but i i've always had my doubts about the church um but they were they were something that i kind of just pushed off to the side uh, a lot of people call this their shelf you put something on the shelf and, and you forget about it or you ignore it. And that was basically what I've done my, my entire life. Um, even, even through my mission, uh, my mission as a missionary, you know, you're going and you're teaching people about the gospel. You're teaching people about Christ. You're teaching people about how to live their life and, and what are the important choices that they need to make to make sure that they're looking out for themselves with an eternal perspective, as well as for their family. Um, really important decisions a lot of and this is something that most people don't take lightly uh in my experience and so um because i didn't um have a testimony what we call a testimony or i never received like a spiritual understanding um and resolution that the church what they were saying was true i realized like i had a lot a lot of work to do to not be a hypocrite and telling people how to live their lives. And so I dedicated my mission, not only to teaching other people um, and working with other missionaries, because I, I served in some leadership positions, leadership positions as a missionary. And, and you, as in those positions, you train other missionaries and you put on these trainings and you teach and you do all these things. Um, and I knew I couldn't do all that stuff if, if I didn't believe it for myself. And so I tried really hard. Um, you know, the LDS church invites everyone to, ask God and to pray and, and to learn about the gospel and to ask for themselves if these things are true. And we're instructed that if, if you do so, God will let you know in one way or another. And up until this point in my life, I've, I've never received that com that confirmation. Um, and which is a really hard thing to say. We talked about it a little bit, but my entire life, although I've had doubts, like I've always just accepted that the LDS church is the way. Um, you know, concretely, like if there's a way, this is it. Um, and so saying that I, I don't 
my views don't align with the church anymore and saying that out loud and, and making it a conclusion um, is really hard because my whole life is is identified as an LDS life. Um, and so it's been really hard because I had to I had to share these these feelings with my wife because I I've over the past year, this is really recent. Um, like I mentioned, this is really, really recent that I've been able to get to this point. Um, this summer, once school ended and I had a lot of free time, especially being stuck at home with COVID, um, I really was in getting into my thoughts and this, the whole spirituality um, and figuring out that side of me kind of took over my brain and I literally cannot do anything else. Um, it's all I could think about. I couldn't focus on work. I couldn't focus on anything. School started back up again. I can't focus on my homework. I can't pay attention in class because all I'm thinking about is um, what do I believe? A am I living? Am I faking? Am I really faking this? And how long, how much longer can I go of just going through the motions? It got to the point where I had to share it with Haley because I, I couldn't hold it in. I felt like I was carrying like this huge weight um, and I didn't want to lie to her anymore. And so I told her and, and we've had a lot of hard conversations since then because she's still a believing member of the church. And, and I don't want to force her one way or another. I totally respect her decision. And I understand because that's the life that I lived for 27 years. You know, I totally understand. There's so many good things that come from being a member of the church. And I don't take any of that for granted, although some people may have that opinion um, hearing me say that I'm taking a step away. Um, but really, I have no ill feelings towards the church. The church has done a lot for me in in all of the hard times of my life. People have been there for me from the church. And um, I have no problem saying that that was probably God's hand in my life. Um, so it's been hard. And, and I recently told my family as well. That was first the top scary thing in, in going through something like this is telling the people that you love because this is something that's really important to them as well. Um, and so telling Haley was really hard because when we were married, there was the common understanding that we were going to raise our family in the church and that that was our guidance. That's our path. And so I feel, I feel guilt and I still feel guilt, even though it's been maybe three or four months since I initially, you know, disclosed this to Haley, I still feel guilt because she was relying on me to be this person. Um, and I feel like I've let her down. And she's been nothing but supportive and she's been a, an amazing wife and person to me as I've gone through this transition. Um, but I still have our time um, because I feel like I've let her down in, in this regard. And so I recently told my family as well, actually just two days ago, and I've had hard conversations with my mom. My dad, my dad's not around anymore. Um, and I don't know if he'll hear this or not, but if, if he does, then this, this will be how he finds out. Um, but he's also not a, not a member anymore, but I've had really hard conversations with my mom and I feel a lot of guilt there because my mom is the most loving mother and she holds herself responsible for a lot of things. And I feel guilt because I know that she's worried about me and, and she, she can't help it. You know, she just wants me to make the right decisions. Um, and, and her view of what the right decision is and, and my current view of what the right decision is just aren't, they don't line up right now. And so there's a little bit of conflict, but you know, every conversation I've had with my family members, they've all told me that they still love me, that things aren't going to change between us. And I'm so grateful for that. I know a lot of people who go through this, um, don't get the same results. 
And so I don't take my family for granted. If you guys are listening, I love you all. And I, and I thank you for being there the way that you've been. So um, that's been the most recent, I would say, hard thing I've had to go through because this really, to me, is, is kind of like a, an identity or an existential crisis. Like, who the heck am I if, if not this? Um, and I'm still trying to figure that out. You know, navigating this is, is different because my whole circle is Mormon or LDS. And it, it's hard for, to get people to empathize unless they're in the same place. And so um, it's, it's kind of lonely sometimes. Um, definitely a hard thing to do because I'm, I'm really feel like the foundation of my beliefs has just kind of been completely rocked, which has made me doubt from A to Z. You know, I don't, I don't know where I stand on a lot of things. I feel like I hold a lot of the same values and, and I don't think my lifestyle will change like at all. You know, my, my decision to step away hasn't been tied to me wanting to live a different lifestyle in any way. It's strictly because of how I, it's because of my spiritual experiences or lack of spiritual experiences that I've decided to make this or take this step. Yeah. It, it, I, I, I've had some friends that obviously growing up as a, as a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, when, when you belong to a church that um, as the church does claims to be the fullness of truth on the earth, right? That's a, that's a strong and a bold claim. Um, there's a lot right. of different things out there. Right. And so you grow up in that environment and that, that is, it, it becomes your identity. I mean, you, you view, life through the lens of eternal perspective of who we are, why we're here. We're children of God. He's our father. And, and to have that moment where as a, as a, as a young father um, to start feeling those feelings of, wow, I don't know where I am with this anymore. That, that kind of rocks your world. And it shakes completely (laughs) right. And it shakes you at the very where you're at. And, and, and you're still, you're, it's interesting timing this thing, right? We, you and I started talking a while back and, and, and I, I don't know why I felt like I need to reach out to you a while ago to get you on here. There's so much goodness within you Juan, that, that I, I just, within that circle of being a member of the church, I just have to say to you, you're amazing, man. Like, don't, no matter what, no matter what steps you have to take, you lose no value, right? You lose no value. You are of infinite worth. You always will be. Um, whatever path that you're on, I know you well enough. I, You and I, like I said, you and I don't go back a long way. We've connected. And, and I think sometimes those connections, you, you find something within that where it says, you guys have known each other a lot longer than just this moment in life right and i i truly believe right i'm pretty sure you're there too but um whatever whatever experiences you need to have you'll have them and i i i trust in the kind of guy that you are in the spirit that you have and i know i know your friends and family will definitely say the same thing but i trust that you in your efforts you're not going to lose anything, any that like you're not going to do anything that like ruins your life. Like you, you are going to go forward and have experiences that will give you so much beauty 
and so much gain and and that that's awesome and and so go go find those things that you need to have and don't don't be afraid or ashamed of that right like you there the one thing i i i worry about with with people that have these kind of experiences because they happen to us all in different ways is don't ever feel ashamed right that's the one thing that when when a human being gets in a place of shame we start to devalue ourselves. We start to feel like we're not enough. We start. We start to feel like we're not good enough, and that's that's not that's a lie. That's not okay. And as a classroom, you know, like I, I with the with the understandings and the beliefs that I have, this is a classroom, and this life, and and all of us have our journeys that we have to to take. And as a and I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, so I'll try and wrap up real quick. That's okay. No, that's all right. I want you to share um, your feelings, but um, the the thing is about this classroom of life that I that I truly believe is our mistakes are blessings, man. Our, our when we make a mistake, that ends up being our greatest victory later in life. Learning how to overcome those things, process those things. Sometimes when we go to God for like questions of, hey, is this true or not? And we're not getting that answer. You, you, it's okay, right? Like your path may be different than mine, but guess what, man? Like you're going to take it. You're going to take it the right way, and you're going to do some amazing things in your life. And what me, what makes it so that I can end up in heaven, but you can't? Just because I, I right. stay back to that's not true. That's not how it works. Um, right. And, and, and I, so I just want you to know, like you lose no value. Don't ever be ashamed. And, and those who love you most will be there with you no matter what. And, um, and, and I know you'll be there for me, right? Like, it's not just a, it's not a, you, Absolutely. Like, why are you doing this? But it's also like, Hey, we're all a family here, man. We all have different journeys in life. Let's not, let's not turn our back on somebody because they're not in alignment with what we feel anymore. Like, support support love 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 and you're gonna you're gonna learn things about you that are about life that 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 you won't that maybe your wife's never thought of or maybe your your family or whatever and and there's so much benefit for all of us coming together and finding that common ground and lifting each other up right right exactly i'm, I'm long-winded now i need to stop so no you're no you're 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 great man honestly um I just want to say, like, I, I really, that means a lot to me um, because, you know, going through something like this and, and a lot of people that, that hear this may, may be able to understand and, and a lot of people who do may not. Um, but when you, when you grow up like this, um, you know, you're told everything that, what to believe, you know, from A to Z, it's like, this is, this is what we believe and this is how it is and this is how it's going to be and this is how it was. Like, there's, there's an answer for almost everything. Um, and so kind of taking a step back, it's like, now I don't, I don't know where I'm at with a lot of this stuff. Um, and, and part of the culture, unfortunately, and, and there's no one specific to blame, but part of the culture is, is when people step away from the church, they're judged by a lot of people. Um, and a lot of assumptions are made about that person and their character. And so for you to say that honestly does mean a lot to me. And, and one of my biggest concerns and, and fears uh, when addressing this issue with my family and, you know, with my wife and with my close friends, most of my friends don't know um, my family. 
knows and and you know and a couple of really really close friends and some of my really really close friends still don't know um because of the shame or potential feelings that may come and part of that with me comes with um i wouldn't call myself like a people pleaser i think i i consider myself more of a peacemaker if that makes sense and so i hate disturbing the peace i would rather suffer some hardship or some inconvenience than to have somebody else have to deal with it. So like, usually if something goes wrong, I I try not to say anything about it. And I, I just try to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And if, if I can be the one to like shoulder that, then I usually do it. Um, or I try to, um, because I, I hate making people feel uncomfortable. I hate making people feel embarrassed. Like to the point where I don't even like startling Haley, you know, like, I have maybe one time in our six years of marriage, like turned a corner and tried to make her jump or scream or something. Like I, I hate like the feeling of fear to me is the worst feeling. And I feel bad if I ever make anyone feel like that, even as a joke. Yeah. So, so literally I try to be a peacemaker as much as possible and I'm not perfect. You could ask Haley, she'd be the one to tell you I'm far from perfect um, in a lot of ways, but, but really I just hate making people feel uncomfortable or embarrassed or, or in a contentious situation. So telling my family and, and putting this on them, um, even though it's something I'm going through, I know there's going to be some hard feelings and I hate that I'm the one that is making them feel this way. Um, so what you, what you said, honestly, it really does mean a lot to me because there, there's a lot of different reasons why my situation is hard. And, and you know, I don't ask for pity and, and I, I actually feel good about where I'm at. Um, I feel like I'm making the right decision but there's a lot of symptoms or, or side effects of what I'm, what I'm choosing to do. Um, and so managing those fires and and putting them out or trying to put them out or, or keep them from spreading like crazy is, is just a whole different deal. So yeah, man, I'm grateful for what you said. I appreciate that. Yeah, of course. I, yeah, I don't, I don't pity you. You're on your journey. You're in the classroom and, and you've been going for a while and you haven't gotten an answer yet. And, and, you know, like, like that, at some point you have to put it back on God and say, Hey, I'm coming to you. I haven't got my answer. Right. You're not going to stop going to him. And that's the beauty of it. You're going to still show up for your family. You're going to still show up for your mom. You're not just because you're, you may be taking a different journey spiritually, taking some different steps right now and, and maybe right. the rest of your life, whatever it, you're still going to show up for your mom. You love your mom. You love your family. There's no, there's nothing in you that is changing in your personality where anybody should pity you. We should celebrate your journey and we should look at you and say, Hey, look, my job is not to judge. My job is to recognize you as a child of God. And as a child of God, it's to support you on your journey. And, and if I can be there to help you and, and serve you in some way, great. But, but I know you would do the same for me. What makes us different? Not a whole lot. Right. Not a whole lot. So let me, let me, let me make a deal with you here. So there's okay. always, there's always room on my bench in church for you next to me, no matter what, <laughs> but I, I expect the same thing, right? Like I, what, whatever, yeah. whatever your journey includes, you know, I, I, I hope you'll invite me, right? Like I, I want to know, um, there's always a place for you at my table. And I hope for me, I appreciate that. Man. I hope there's always a spot for me at your table, right? Absolutely. And I would love to sit at your table, man. 
this has been good for me to, to talk with you. And, and like you said, we don't go way back, but I, I do feel like we're connected. So yeah, um, I got to get up to Utah sometime. Yeah, no, for real. And and we'll come down to Arizona and, and we'll, uh, we'll visit you one of these days. But the point is, 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 is the first and greatest commandments, two commandments of God is love God. And you're doing that. You know, the second is love your neighbor. And that's the, those laws is what all the other laws hang upon is those two things love right and as long as you embrace that as long as i embrace that as long as we all embrace that that's all that matters the different walks right. of life like there are people from every denomination there are people from every country race creed whatever there are people that are going to make it in because god didn't set this up to make most of his children fail he wants us home and we're all going to have different right. walks. And so we need to start embracing each other more instead of, instead of pushing people away, we pull people in. Right. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with that. Yeah. Okay. You've shared, man, you've shared a lot with us. This is, this has been awesome. I, I, uh, the way I typically want to end um, is, is the question that I always ask people before it's over is one up to this point in your life, you've gone through some struggles. You've gone through some difficult things. You've gone through some awesome things as well. Uh, you're a well-rounded guy. Um, God, like I, I got to step back. I was going to say this earlier. Um, you, you're going to have, you're going to bring so much to the table in your efforts as a someone, someone who is a lawyer. And, and tell me what kind of law you're going into. Um, I actually don't know for sure yet, but um, I've interned at a criminal with a criminal law team, um, and it was awesome. Yeah, I had a lot of fun, and and I'm actually going back. I'm planning on going back to intern with them for my third year of law school. I'm currently interning for another firm, um, like a big regional firm, where I'm doing estate planning um, and some other stuff. I just barely started, so I don't know what the scope of my job is going to be exactly right now. Um, so I'm still open and, and basically I'm going to go into whatever branch of law wants to hire me. <laughs> just yeah. want to, just want to get it, get a job. So you'll, you'll, you, you've got so much experience you're bringing to the table and with what you've learned working with connect for the short time you did and going on a mission to New York and just connecting with so much, so many different people and, and, and backgrounds like, man, your value, what you're bringing to the table, no matter where you go, um, you'll have so much ability for compassion, right? And I think more than anything else in this world, that is a value to me where um, that's what the world needs right now, you know? And, and yeah. brother, you've got that. And, and I, I'm excited to watch your journey, man. You're going to do some great things and wrap your arms around Haley to give birth to it. I mean, there's so many things that are great about her. I can tell, but to give birth to a 10 pound baby, <laughs> Holy cow. You deserve, you She's need to, give, yeah, you need to give her foot rubs for like the next 10 years, nonstop. <laughs> um, Seriously. Tell me, tell me, you know, trials, tribulations, the tough things that you've been through. What is the gift that you were given in the middle of those times? To be honest, it's really hard to, break it down into one specific thing but i i think that the way that i've changed and i'm still trying to change and be better at this um but whether you think it's god or whether you don't think it is and, and or chance or coincidence or whatever it is i i think that 
the people in your life are invaluable. And that's what I've learned um, because any ch- any time that I've gone through something hard, there's always been somebody that's been willing to to help me. And that's been really eye-opening because, and I'm not perfect at this, but people want to help. And one of the hardest things to do is to let people help you. Um, and another thing is to be willing to give your time to help other people. Those two things are really hard, but both sides of that coin are, are really hard. Um, part of being helped is you might feel ashamed that you're in a position where you need help. Like being stuck is not fun. Needing being down and, and needing a lift up is not fun. And you might feel like you're burdening someone else. And sometimes if you're the other person and, and you're having to lift someone else up, like that might be a really heavy lift. Um, but I'm so grateful for the people that I've that have been around me. Um, because they really opened my eyes to the power of like connection and being there for someone. And, and like you, like if, if I, I know right now that if something were to happen with me and you found out you would offer help in whatever capacity you could, you know, you may not be able to, to fly in and, and be here for me physically, but I know you would offer your help. And there's, there's a lot of people out there like that. And we don't realize it because I'm going to bring this back to something I said earlier. It's like when you live your life and you see other people go through hard things, you always think, I cannot believe that that is happening to someone. I can't imagine what that's like. And all of a sudden, it's you. And you're saying, what the heck? I never could have thought that this would have happened to us. You know, that happened to, that happened, it's happened to me a couple of times when my parents got a divorce, um, when we lost the baby. When, you know, I, I realized that I, I don't believe the things that I've said I've believed for my an entire life. Um, I never expected to be in any of those positions or that it would happen to, to me or the group of people that was affected. Um, and I've realized that that happens with everybody. And it's hard to grasp that because you live your life as the main character and with so many other like role players in your life. But but everybody else is living their own life as the main character and you're the role player that's good exactly and so it's just a it's a crazy concept to think about because you you know you're only really in tune with what you're what you have going on and there's so much so many other things that people suffer through and um the hardships that we go through help us empathize with other people and it might not be a direct you know correlation to the issue that they might be facing but you can at least step in to the room that they're in, maybe not right into their shoes, but you can at least step into the area and say, Hey, I, I kind of know what this feels like. Like let's go for a walk or, you know, let's talk about this or whatever the case is. And, and I think that's kind of how I, I think about a lot of things now. Um, I, I try, I'm trying so hard to be a non-judgmental person. Um, it, it honestly, what the biggest takeaway I think is I'm just trying to see people differently because um, not only is it trials, but the people, the people in your life might not be there for you to help them. They might just be there to help you and vice versa. <clears throat> and that, that's one of the reasons why I've tried to really shift my mindset to valuing people and what they bring or what they might need in your life, because the experience can help you regardless. Um, and it's one of the reasons why I said, like, I love to cheer for people. Um, like when, when my friends win, whatever, like if, like in law school right now, for example, 
um, it's really competitive. You're literally competing with your friends for the same job. And law school, typically the culture, at least at ASU, and I'm sure at the majority of all law schools is like, you don't talk about your grades because your grade, my grade is directly affected by your grade. You know, it's, it's not, there's no raw, the raw score doesn't really matter. It's like you have, you get an A if you know more than everyone else and you get a, you get a B if you're average and you get a C if you don't know anything compared to your student, your other classmates. Um, but, oh my gosh, where was I going with that? Oh, but like when my friends win and when they get good grades and they get A's, that means that they probably got a better score than me. And most people are like, crap, like what am I doing wrong? But I try to, I try to get pumped about that. It's like, you're doing awesome. You're, you're literally, you're killing this. You're smart. Like you put in the work. You did what you had to do and you succeeded. And that is amazing. Like I, I genuinely have trained myself to just think that way. And it, it makes life way less stressful. I'm not, I'm not envious. Of course, like if I see somebody doing something better than me, do I want that for myself? 100%. I'd be lying if I didn't say that I did, but it, it puts things in perspective and, and then it makes you reevaluate and you say, how could I be better? How could I change? What do I need to improve? It's not like I wish that person didn't do that or I wish I was smarter or I wish I was this. It's just like, man, I got to reset. Let's figure this out. It's totally changed my perspective and how I look at other people, how I see these things. Um, and I'm sorry that was so long winded, but it, it's just I, I can't really pin it down to one thing. It's it's really just made me value people. Yeah. And and the it really made me analyze who I'm surrounding myself with and the kind of attitude and, and energy that they bring into my life yeah. because that completely affects, you know, if I'm up or down. That was a, there was a lot in that answer. It was awesome. That was, it was uh, em empathy. Holy cow. Like, right. Like, so everything we go through that's difficult gives us empathy, gives us the ability to love and show up for people in their dark moments. Right. And that's, man, that's what it's all about. I love what you said about, I'm the main character in my, in my world, in my, in my play, but like I'm only a supporting actor and everybody else is right. And right. I'll tell you, you know what, that very last point that you, you ended on, um, you become a, a cheerleader for everyone in your world. And you're going to have a lot of friends when your life is over. But if all you focus on is winning and getting gain and getting titles and, being the best of whatever, you're going to have a pretty empty life because a right. lot of those friends are not going to be able to, to be around you because you don't show up for them. You expect them to show up for you, but you, you don't even necessarily want that because are they good enough to do that for you? Right. Right. So, well, well said my friend and Juan, you're, you're an amazing guy. And um, again, I, you know, I don't want to be long winded here. I just, I, I'm grateful for your journey, your journey up to this point. Um, you're a star, man. Like you, you've got a great spirit about you and there's no doubt God's got amazing things in store for you. And, um, I don't know your wife, tell her hi for me. She seems like an amazing girl. Um, and Diego, like, you know, I can't wait to see that kid dunking on his, on his buddies. When I'm like, <laughs> when I'm like 60 years old, I'd be watching this Diego like, yeah, I know that guy's dad. But, uh, and I expect to be able to come to NBA games when he makes it in. But, um, Juan, thank you so much for joining me, man. I appreciate, I appreciate your your uh, your willingness to get vulnerable. Um, 
but also bringing so much strength to your message because you have a great message and, and, and your ability to touch people from all different walks of life and empathize with them and lift them. That, that is a special trait that not everybody focus on focuses on in their life. And you obviously have that gift, my friend. So thanks so oh, much thank for you, joining man. me, brother. Oh, it was a pleasure, man. This, this was good. Hopefully we can talk sometime outside of the podcast, you know, we will. Thank you for tuning in to come towards the light, the podcast. I truly hope you enjoyed today's show. I would love to hear your feedback. You can subscribe to this podcast and leave a review on Apple podcast or any podcast platform you use. If you or someone you know has a delightful story to share that I need to talk to, please email me at come towards delight at gmail.com.